Welcome to Founders of Friends Podcast with Scott Orner, Cruise Consulting. And today, before we get to an awesome podcast with Travis Dial of Football Robotics, a quick shout out to Rippling. Rippling is awesome at payroll, awesome at benefits. They also have a great IT service that integrates into all your favorite apps, helps you get new employees ramped up super fast. Also, unfortunately, if you let someone go, you can de-ramp them. You can take away all their access. It's pretty cool. Travis is nodding his head, maybe a future Rippling client here, but Rippling's great. Check them out, rippling.com. And now welcome, Travis. We've been friends for a long time. It's awesome to have you on the podcast. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Scott. Of course. So maybe friends and your cruise consulting client, uh, but let's let's have a little, um, just take a couple minutes to kind of Tell us how, do you, how you had the idea to start Cobalt Robotics. Yeah, so uh, I'll try to keep it brief, but it kind of goes back all the way to my grad school days. So I, I did my PhD building healthcare robots, robots the size of people with arms, helping people with activities of daily living. So this was things like fetching and delivering medication for older adults in their mm-hmm. home. It was things like helping quadriplegics shave their face, basically getting robots into human environments, working closely with and around people. Right. And so this was a big shift in the robotics world. It was fascinating, but the robots were incredibly expensive. Think like half a million dollars a piece. So I actually left and, and went and did medical devices for about a decade. Everything from cyborg dragonflies um, as a postdoc to uh, working at Google X Life Sciences, building you know new medical implants. But about four years ago, I decided, you know what, the group I was in at Google X was spinning out one of the first alphabet companies called Verily Life Sciences. And I said, hey, it's time to go look for new interesting problems. And so a buddy of mine, I convinced him to turn down SpaceX to come with me and just without any clue what we were going to do, we set out in search of interesting problems. What we would do is sit down and say, if you could wave a magic wand, have us solve your biggest, most pressing problem, what would you have us do? And we went through probably 50 or 60 of these. You know, we had our own criteria, right? Like product to market in a year, paying customers before we built anything, software only, clearly failed at that one. Um, (laughs) And then something we could see doing and loving for a decade. And as we were doing this, one of the people we spoke to was an old friend in physical security who told us, you know, during the day, they have incredible support staff, right? They have security officers, receptionists facilities managers, just an incredible amount of support staff. But when it came to after hours, right? So like nights, weekends, and holidays, they just couldn't, they couldn't find people or justify the cost to have someone wandering around like an empty office building at night. Um, And yet like many companies spend millions or even billions of dollars on hiring expensive security officers to go do this. And so he asked us point blank, why can't you guys take those robots you were building 15 years ago and use them for this task. And we were naturally very skeptical and knew nothing about physical security, but we very quickly realized that, hey, actually, if all you do is take a Roomba, which is you know old, uh, 20-year-old technology now, add a computer to it, have a camera to do two-way video chat, and then add a lot of this uh, autonomy and AI features you know, to detect things, you could basically achieve this exact task. You could do security patrols, You could uh, check for facilities issues like leaks and spills. 
And then at any time, you know, the robot doesn't know exactly what's going on most of the time. And so if it has uncertainty, it can just remote in a remote human operator to, to sort of provide that, that guidance and intelligence. And so you get basically like observation and reporting on steroids. But beyond all that, you know, it's not even one officer. You actually get the entire collective intelligence of an entire remote team. And so, yeah, we, we took off and started executing from there. That's incredible. And I've actually seen the robots. Like people might be visualizing like a Roomba, but that's not what your robots look like. Like it does, it, it's pretty big. It's pretty amazing to look at. Like you want to talk about it a little bit? Sure. So it's, it's about five feet tall, uh, right? So it can see out, you know, over a cubicle farm or anything like that. They're exclusively an indoor robot, but they're covered in fabric. Think of it like a, a giant Sonos speaker, like scaled up. Up at the top, it's got a microphone array, so it can hear sounds coming from different directions. It's got a touchscreen interface on the front. That's how you have that two-way video chat. It's got you know cameras all around. Um, that's kind of the security piece. And then it's got a, various depth cameras and LIDAR so that it can safely move around an environment. And so we, we really designed the entire robot to be friendly and approachable, right? So it's this soft fabric. You can go up and push on it. It's, it's engaging. And then at any time, you know, you can tap the screen, get a remote person on. You're not talking to like an Amazon Alexa or a Google Home. It's it's literally like a human being, a real live person on the other side that you can speak to. And yeah, the thing navigates around. It's pretty slick, actually. We were always concerned about that cultural adoption piece. Like that's the big change that has to happen. Uh, and so designing a robot that is friendly and approachable, first and foremost, right? It's the friendly, helpful workplace robot. That's the hard part. Making a, a scary robot is much easier. But yeah, you can literally jump. You get out of your spare time for Halloween. Yeah, yeah. But the, just <laughs> insane ability to jump into a remote robot body anywhere in the world, see what's going on and interact with people. It's, it's a pretty profound change in the way that businesses operate. And robots are all about exploiting constraints. And so we, we target indoor spaces only, right? That's offices, warehouses, museums, data centers, manufacturing facilities, basically any indoor space, hospitals, schools, our robot, you know, follows ADA compliance rules. So we, we know what the mechanical specifications are, have good wireless connectivity. We can build a system that's really robust and reliable and it doesn't get sick. It doesn't fall asleep. It doesn't, you know, cause HR problems. Uh, it's consistent in the pricing. It's all, it's all the wonderful things you expect from technology, but still backed by, by people when and where you need it. Yeah. I was a security guard in college at night sometimes. It was like one of my college jobs. And let me, let me tell you, the not falling asleep part is very critical here because uh, I did take a few naps. <laughs> so like, it's just like it's, you're automating it. It's a challenging job for anybody. Like I actually did that job in college 20 years ago. It's not, it's not like the greatest job. It's, you know, it actually pays decently well because it's so hard. And, but like, it's not something that humans really enjoy doing all night. So like, it's actually, it's a real nice benefit to society, what you're doing. Yeah. And you know, we, we did a bunch of those positions to ourselves just to like understand the space, right? Both like in-person graveyard shifts um, and then being that remote robot operator in the early days. And I can tell you, it's it's hard to to pay attention, be alert all the time, and, and to deal with all of this, frankly, with boredom, right? Like robots are good at the dull, dirty, and dangerous. Nighttime security is yeah. like the dullest job you could ever imagine. Yeah. And so, yeah, we, we pull that person remote, and then now they stay active and engaged all night, right? Like they're talking to people. They're basically playing a video game and sending the robots around and doing new patrols. And it's much more engaging yeah. and fulfilling. And 
you know, people are generally, they want to be good at their job. They want to provide value and we help them do that. Do you have like, do you employ the operators or is that someone that the company that buys the cobalt system hires or how does it work? Yeah, we, we do employ them. It's part of our service, right? So we offer security as a service just by way of the robot. We have two yeah. command centers that are operated 24-7 or they're staffed 24-7. And so, yeah, we, we employ those people directly. We train them up. They do a bunch of different things. It's not just uh, security, right? They're customer service agents engaging with employees and partners. They debug robots if the robots ever have issues. They, you know, adapt patrols. They're doing uh, analytics and sort of security intelligence on the data that is coming in. They look for facilities incidents. They manage these things. So they're, we call them specialists and yeah, they do many different tasks. Yeah, full-time Cobalt employees, and we, we really wow. enjoy and love having them on board. I love the analogy of a video game because I, I can totally visualize what it must be like to do that job. And it probably is, like, especially like the debugging or when you encounter something that's like off script that you're not used to doing or, or someone, someone you're not used to seeing in the, in the office at night. It must be kind of crazy. You'll love this. Then. So, you know, we worked a lot in this space uh, in the past, and you know, during the, the early days of the robotics sort of revolution, we literally modeled it off systems used by NASA to control like the Mars rover and then crossed with, with video games like StarCraft. And so you can literally go in and actually you as an end user, you get the same visibility. Like you can jump from, you know, your site here in the Bay Area to your site in New York, to out in Singapore or whatever. And you can literally just go and click on a map and the robot will automatically dispatch itself and go over and look at whatever you wow. want. And so... We take that first line of control so that you don't have to worry about it. But if you want visibility, if you want to go in and see what's going on, you as an end user can do the same thing. You have that power. That's incredible. You also talked about like the cultural aspect of this and how important it was to you and your co-founder, the whole team, to have the ro robot be friendly. Like, how did you, what was the process of that? Did you do like have people come in and interact with robots and just watch how they talk to them? Or you had all this experience, but how did you make it so friendly? Well, so it turns out uh, from our research with older adults, like people are actually very receptive to robots. Yeah. Like if you look at a Roomba vacuum cleaner, people name them. They We have a name. I forgot our name, but we have a name for our one too. Yeah. So, so people inherently like they will anthropomorphize a robot there yeah. and it becomes part of the team, right? Like, and then it's, it's really just about trying to make it like not sci-fi and scary. So, you know, like a big plastic shell of a robot like it's just not it's not approachable it's not friendly it's not sort of the soft engaging thing and so we we tried to just lean heavily on our our background there you know we have some wonderful advisors like uh Layla Takayama is an old friend of mine human robot interaction researcher uh we worked with Eve Behar at Fuse Project brilliant designer um to try to make this thing sort of fit into a high-end office space right because mm -hmm. that's the most demanding from a design perspective, right? It has to look professional. It has to be approachable and friendly. If you're in an empty warehouse, it doesn't matter as much. But if you design for the hardest spot, then you can repurpose it to these other locations. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we, we tried to lean heavily on, on all of that. And then really to emphasize the interaction through the screen with remote people. Because, you know, if you think about your, your Amazon Alexa, if you ask it a question, for example, like a significant fraction of the time, it, it doesn't have an answer. That's really bad when you're in a safety and security context. Yeah, yeah. Let's wait for the technology to mature to the point where it's really good. And for now, we can leverage a human uh, to come on and provide that interaction when and where it makes sense. Uh, and so it's just, yeah, just being 
very diligent and disciplined about how to deploy these things, what things to emphasize, what things to de-emphasize. Yeah. Do you ever, in in our COVID world now, do you ever think that you guys were like a forerunner to this? Because like, in, in essence, like every time I talk to someone now, it's that same type of interaction. I'm talking to everyone through Zoom, on my computer, on my phone. Like, are there lessons for all of us that we can, you know, repurpose for our, our just general lives? I think so. You know, if you think about remote work, technology is letting us be anywhere on demand, right? Like we can yeah. project our presence anywhere. And the robots are, are a physical manifestation of that, right? Like I don't need you to grab your laptop and move around and show me something. I don't need you to walk around with your phone and do it. I can literally use the fact that mobility is cheap to create a robot that can move and do that for you. That's the observation and reporting part. I think yeah. we're, we're, in, we're still in the early days, but you have to remember, like we were building robots 15 years ago that would like grab a razor and shave someone's face or like reach out yeah. or open a door. And so robots really represent mobile computers that can reach out and touch the world. And that's, that's a profound change, right? So if you look yeah. back over the last like 30 or 50 years, we've had robots in manufacturing, We've had them in warehouses. We've seen a little bit in our daily lives, right? So you have like uh, some of the parking assist and lane assist in your car. You have a Roomba vacuum cleaner. Heck, you could even count a dishwasher or washing machine as a robot. It's just as soon as it works, it's no longer called a robot. (laughs) But but these things are, are pretty commonplace. It's just that people have a lot of misconceptions because of Hollywood, right? You think like Terminator and RoboCop and whatever. But what you really need to think about is like WALL-E or uh, Big Hero 6, right? Like the Baymax helpful, friendly healthcare robot. And so what we have to do is is change our mindset because robots have the potential to be hugely impactful, right? Like to help with healthcare, cleaning, delivery, safety and security, like literally every single aspect of our lives will be impacted by robots. And it's not just labor replacement. It's, It's literally like taking a microwave and the utility of a microwave and now making that utility apply in a vast array of additional tasks. And so that's also like friendship, you know, like I was talking, I mean, in Japan, I know like, I think it's robot dogs or there's robots that are kind of are thought of as like family pets and things like that. Maybe it's maybe too cliche or stereotypical, but like I was talking to my grandma last night, who's 80 something years old. She, she cannot be out seeing people right now. And so, you know, like I was just thinking like how great it would be if she had, like a friend in her house, you know, there's just so many applications for robots. It's, yeah, it's actually, probably, I'm going to wake up every day and be like, I could start three companies right now if I wasn't doing Cobalt. There's so many other opportunities to go after. Well, and that's, that's an interesting example because there is uh, this companion robot called Paro, P-A-R-O, that is this little seal. And it's been ah. adopted in Scandinavia in nursing homes as a, as a companion. Um, and it's, you know, it's a little stuffed animal and it, it actually has big psychological benefits for those end users. Yeah. The real trick for all of robotics in the end is to identify a clear value proposition where the technology of today can actually address it. Because, you know, everybody's seen the crazy uh, videos from Boston Dynamics of, you know, the wild robots yeah. doing absurd things. And they are like, you know, some of the best robotics and controls and mechanics people in the world, but they have no application for them. And so what you have to do is you have to find that application where you can deliver more value than the cost. I mean, pretty simple business economics. And then from there, you can layer on new capabilities. And so when you think about Cobalt, like we really started with just this 
observation, reporting, you know, very simple anomalies that we would detect, right? So this robot rolls around, builds a model of normal, and then flags things like people, motion, sounds, open doors, leaks and spills, you know, unattended packages, like whatever these, these safety and security things are. But we can keep layering more and more on. So to give an example, we recently rolled out cybersecurity checks, right? So if you are a big enterprise, uh, you're required to protect your, your information, your IP. And that means yeah, things like yeah. not leaving unattended devices on your desk. Oh, I didn't think about that. Yeah. Like computers. Yeah. Like that, right? oh, not wow. leaving your screens unlocked. Um, yeah. You're supposed to erase your whiteboards. We go through and we do those checks and we do it with the machine, right? So you get 100% compliance checks to make sure that people are adhering to these, these standards. Wow. I hadn't thought of that. The whole reason we're doing the podcast was like three weeks ago, you and I were emailing because I was just kind of curious. I was like, is, is COVID actually spiking demand for cobalt? Like I could totally see that. And I'll leave it to you. You can report some of the good news here. Yeah. So the, the challenging news was initially no, because every security director on the planet was like, holy crap, we have this giant existential crisis happening. And so they, they all started you know, worrying about how to do that with the exception of our existing customers who all started saying, we want to go full 24 hour coverage. We want to add new robots. Um, and so we were like, wow, this is, this is obviously a very good solution for this time. And now what we're seeing is as people settle into this new normal, people are realizing that this is the ideal time to not put people in harm's way, right? And the yeah. same things, the same capabilities that we were doing before are extremely relevant during the time of coronavirus, right? So doing temperature checks, our robot has a thermal camera on board. We can check to see if someone has an elevated body temperature. Just let me interject because yeah, yeah. before we turn the mic on, I was going batshit crazy that you guys can do temperature check. Cause like my wife and I have talked about this as the, really her, she's smarter than me. She's like, that's the future. That's what's going to need to happen. And so you told me before we turned on the mics that you could do this. Now my mind was totally blown because it's, that's just so amazing. That's just like exactly what we need right now to be able to get people back to work. It's certainly part of it, right? But we already know that at least a quarter of people are asymptomatic, right? So it's not even a, it's not a panacea. It's not, it's not a silver bullet. Um, and you can't yeah. just have a camera there doing the check. You actually need to react and, and take action. So to operationalize the camera, it's great because we have a remote security officer. So if they detect an elevated temperature, you can remote in a medical professional. You can remote in a customer service agent. You can remote in you know, HR to say, hey, please go home. You're covered under your benefits. You can say, hey, please go over to this extended screening area. So it, it actually helps you operationalize the body temperature checks. And so that's what we've been doing yeah. out right now. But we already do PPE checks. So you know, for face masks on coronavirus, making sure that everyone is wearing their mask. Like so you could go around a hospital and just do that and just see, oh my God. Hospital, office, wherever, and say, hey, is everyone wearing their mask? And if they're not wearing it, we can go up to them and politely request, hey, can you please wear a mask? It's really important. And so you're driving the behavior change that is required to actually address coronavirus. We were already doing checks like that, right? So in manufacturing facilities, we would check to see if people were wearing their hard hat, wearing their safety glasses. For us, it's just a slightly different machine learning model on the computer vision to check now for face masks. So that's great. That's incredible. And then finally, social distancing, right? So we, we do people detectors is one of the computer vision algorithms we run, right? To detect bad guys and good guys in your space. Uh, and so we can tell you if there's aggregations of people, right? So if 
if people are sitting in like a lunch area or something, they're all too close to one another, the robot can detect and flag that. And then it can come up and politely remind people like, hey, we need you to spread out a little bit more. You know, the social distancing is really important. And again, it drives that behavior change to actually get that response. And so, yeah, we, we literally are at the front line of this stuff and, and can be really helpful uh, as people figure out how to go back to work. I, it's incredible. You, you mentioned something that I thought was great. It, I can relate to this in a, in a different way, but you said like everyone was freaking out except for your customers. Your customers, like this, that must have been a really great moment. And just the, because people, you know, every, people listening to this podcast know starting a company is hard and building a startup is hard. Like that, that's in a way that's like the ultimate validation for you and your team in that moment where they're calling you and just saying, hey, thank God we have you deployed already. Can you go 24 hours or can you do X, Y, and Z? That must have felt really good. Yeah, it's it's certainly validating for us uh, in many ways. Yeah. Uh, you know, and we had we had seen coronavirus coming pretty early. And so we had taken steps to operationalize and, and address everything on our side. So, you know, to the extent that we could, uh, many of the remote operators were shifted to work from home. So in the same oh. way that the security director might be at home, now our remote specialists, our remote operators were also able to work from home. We couldn't do that across the board. Like some clients had very specific regulations about not allowing that. So we were able to accommodate. But it it was really fascinating to see that like, this entire distributed model that we've been referring to is actually like ideally suited for what we're trying to do right now. And I think the entire world is going to have to change its, its operating procedures to address, you know, social distancing and coronavirus and risk and, and things like that. So it'll, it'll be interesting. One of the other just kind of takeaways, we'll wrap up here in a second, but like, I'm, I also feel very happy for you personally, because just going back to your story, like you worked on robots 15 years ago. And you, so you've been in this industry for a very long time. You've seen it evolve. And, and just some of the lessons I've heard you articulate here about like using robots for a, an application actually has like an ROI and has, that does create more value. Like that's, that's obviously something you learned in your early twenties, you know, and when you were working on the medical robots that just weren't cost, you know, didn't work on a, on a cost wise, that, that also probably makes you feel pretty good looking back. It's like kind of rewarding, right? It is. Ironically. When I finished my PhD, I thought I would never work on robots again. There, there was this weird thing where roboticists love making cool robots um, and not solving real problems, and and so I kind of swore it off. I was, you know, I was like, I'll, I'll never go back to robotics. And then when this application popped up, I was like, what? What do you mean no one is doing this? Like, how can no one be working on this already and doing it in a sane way? And yet, it's a very old idea, right? Like the very first mobile robot ever was in the mid 1960s. It's actually at the Computer History Museum down in Mountain View. No um, yeah. And literally this was one of its intended applications, right? In the 1980s, they had security robots patrolling around here in Palo Alto at like HP's campus. They would like bury a wire under the ground and the robot would follow oh the wire God. and like look for fires and stuff like that. And so it's, it's this really, really old idea. And it's just that all the component technologies are finally at a level of maturity and a level of yeah. effectiveness that you can put them together. So if you think about what those are, you have uh, wireless connectivity, you know, Wi-Fi and cellular are just everywhere. Yep. You have mobility. So think like your, you know, your Lime scooters and things like that. You can get good motors. Your sensors yep. are amazing. Camera systems are great. LiDAR is still a bit expensive, but you can get depth cameras like the Microsoft Connect, right? These sensors. Oh, no. Yeah, they used to be like $15,000 a piece. Now they're like 200 bucks. 
Um, yeah, yeah. Computation is cheap and the machine learning is vastly better. Video chat yep. is, is a phenomenally robust and capable technology that enables it. And so it's all of these really simple, straightforward technologies and you just have to do a really good job at integrating them together. Um, but yeah, it's eminently feasible and the unit economics are solid. And you're going to be able to ride the component cost reductions on all those things for many years. They're all getting cheaper constantly. So that's, that's amazing for Cobalt's gross margin in the future. And, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to really help the company. That's really cool. Well, this has been awesome. I'm, you know, COVID has affected all of us. And so it's, it's really cool to kind of talk to someone who's, you know, in a way um, that's be not benefiting from it, but like helping other people who need a new solution. You guys are stepping into the void, which is super exciting. And uh, I'm, I'm just really happy for you. I know how hard you've worked on this. And it's really cool. Thank you. Yeah. Well, do you want to tell everyone where they can find like find more information on Cobalt Robotics and yeah. how to reach out? So Cobalt Robotics, again, we're safety, security, and facilities management robots. You can find us online at cobaltrobotics.com. And you can personally reach me, Travis Dial. I'm just Travis at cobaltrobotics.com. Happy to reach out and talk. Awesome. Thank you again for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Pleasure. So when your troubles are mounting in tax or accounting, you go to Cruise. Founders and friends. It's Cruise Consulting. Founders and friends with your host, Scotty Old.